The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky thing, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, uh, good morning. Welcome to you, sir. Uh, good morning, Tom. And last but not least, joining us uh, uh, in the uh, rotating chair that we have here in uh, our roundtable, known as Armchair Politics. He's been here before. He is the author of Twilight of Empire, W.H. Wise Carver. Bill, good morning and welcome to the show. Morning, Tom. Paul, Henry, good to be back. How are you all? Good morning. Well, and as you all know, I uh, always start with a, a couple of quotes, uh, uh, including the, the first quote, which is always uh, the one where I ask, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, in order to have your voice be heard in Washington, you have to what? Write a big check. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> uh I was going to say, make it heard locally. It's something along those lines. It's my only other thought. I don't know. Well, You're going to have to criticize someone. Well, I, I think... Place the blame on someone. Yeah, yeah, blame somebody <laughs> for something. <laughs> right. I thought somebody would say attack the Capitol, but... Well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> but the original right. quote, actually, Bill was pretty close. In order to have your voice be heard in Washington, you have to make some little contribution. Oh, uh, now they didn't say write a big yeah. check like Bill did, but uh, <laughs> oh, you mean financial contribution? Well, that's Not how I'm contribution in- to good cause. But well, let's. When was that? When was that? That uh, quote. Um, does any does anybody know when that quote the year that that was? I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the year, but it's fairly contemporary. And and I'll go ahead and tell you because you'll never guess in a million years who said it. 
Um, that was from Elon Musk. Yeah. Oh, that's well, interesting. That's well, interesting. he can afford the contributions. <laughs> and, and a big check I, might sure seem like a, a big check might seem like a little contribution to Elon. <laughs> right. <laughs> but here was here was oh, my in 2011. In 2011, you had about 3.2 billion going to lobby the United States government, and uh, 2020 it was over 5.4 billion annually, um, uh, over an annual basis. Uh, so that payout's going to 535 members of Congress. So I, I guess Elon Musk probably knows about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't think so. anybody that can uh, that can afford to jettison a hybrid car into space is uh, <laughs> certainly capable of making some small contribution. But my favorite quote of the week um, is is a real short one. It was, "Hello, period." Mm. Hey, that's um, a tough one. Let's see what in the world. That's true. Uh, that's when you find out who said it, it will. Yep. When you find out who said it, it'll make per perfect sense, Paul. That was President Joe Biden when he concluded a visit to South Korea on Sunday oh, yes. with a brief message oh. to the nuclear-armed dictator yeah. to the North, Kim Jong-un of North oh. Korea, <laughs> who U.S. officials believe was preparing for a provocation during the U.S. leader's visit to Asia. Um, and, and Trump or uh, Biden just said um, when they when they asked him uh, if he had any message for Kim Jong Un, he said, "Hello, period." <laughs> well, maybe he couldn't think of what the next thing to, the to say. And it just reminded me of that one debate when when he gave a one word answer. <laughs> maybe um, maybe he should have said, right. uh, "Hey, hey." Uh, Hey, Kim, why don't you uh, return our phone calls and we'll get you that vaccine that you need. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, do you think Un is trying to get the same kind of attention he was getting from former President Donald Trump? Well, you know, everybody wants that. You know, you want to be number one in the view of the world and everybody else. So, yeah, I, I think that yeah, would be I, one of his... Yeah, I guess I, I would think the same thing. I think that the the, the so some of these missile <coughs> missile launches and so forth were an attempt to get attention, particularly while while, while Biden was in Asia. Well, he did get our attention, though. He got the world's uh, attention. That's true. That is true. We're all afraid of him. You think we're afraid of Russia, but well, we have as much uh, you know, anxiety. The real unfortunate thing is that. The real lesson there is that if you're a small little country, but if you've got nuclear weapons, people pay attention to you. I yeah, mean, you're a big bully. If, if, <laughs> a small if country, a big bully. Nuclear is what we pay attention to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out mice's roar a lot louder when they have nuclear weapons. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, here's another quote that got my attention this week. Um, while it's still life in the womb, life of the unborn, the conception was under criminal circumstances, either incest or rape. And so, those are two exceptions I have recognized, I believe, are very appropriate. Supreme Court Justice. Okay. 
Go ahead, Henry. I thought it was the Supreme, one of the Supreme Court justices. And and what did you start to say, Bill? No, that that was it. Uh, just that that was the, from the draft opinion. No, you would think, but it was actually uh, GOP Governor Asa Hutchinson, and he said it to uh, oh. CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union that Arkansas's nearly total abortion ban should be revisited oh, yes. to provide exceptions for instances of rape or incest should the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade. Do you think other Republicans around the country will take similar positions? Uh, I think that we have to move toward the middle a little bit uh, to bring this uh, mania to uh, some kind of a logical conclusion that we can all accept. Do you think, though, that response, Henry, because of of the the election coming up and really the, the, the public support for... Roe Wade is still about two thirds, and actually, with the overturn, with the apparent overturning of Roe Wade, that may work against Republicans this year. You think that would moderate some of those views? No, I, I think that most Republicans are bent, hell bent on maintaining their objections to Roe Wade, but there, there's still a fraction of them who uh, do support it. So we just don't know how that's going to. Oh, uh, based yeah. on yeah. what value systems Republicans adapt for this resolution. You know, it remains have, to be seen how big an election issue is going to be. Yeah, for years the Republicans have always been anti-abortion. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's been that's been kind of the, the big social Not, issue for the last thirty years. I would, yeah, years, I wouldn't really. say always because uh, I think there was a big a big flip uh, during the the Reagan years. Yeah, yeah, that was Yeah, I, I think Barry Goldwater's wife was 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 a supporter or, or member of, or maybe even the leader of Planned Parenthood at some point in her career, and I think, of course, Betty Ford was pro-choice. But you're right; during the Reagan years, it began to change dramatically and became much more of a partisan issue. Well, and and that uh, completely uh, divided the um, value system between Republicans and Democrats. Not only low spendings for government or high spending. One is decided to be low spending for government, and the other is use government to do the things that people cannot do for themselves. But also in this religious uh, argument, they had to have some way uh, to uh, define uh, what the value system of Republicans versus Democrats with respect to birth control. And this was all started in the 1920s, you remember, by, uh, on the president. Uh, um, well, yeah, the Michigan, the Michigan law yeah. um, is uh, from 1931. Yeah. 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 It's very restrictive law. Well, I'm going to squeeze in one more quick little quote. Um, Woodrow Wilson was the person that I was thinking about. They started in that field. I don't want to spend too much uh, time on on this, but I did want to bring up the uh, shooting in Texas. I was talking to a mass shooting expert from Texas yesterday, um, kind of early in the day, 
about coming on to talk about recent mass shootings. And in in one of the strangest uh, comments I've ever had from from an expert in a field, he <laughs> in the middle of our conversation, he said, "Oh my God, there's another one." And he had, he had just seen the news coming in about the shooting yesterday in Texas, and uh, you know I've go ahead, Paul. Good. I was going to say I on the same point. I, I was just scrolling through Facebook this morning, and I saw a number of folks have posted this long, long shopping list of all kind of schools that have had shootings in recent years. I mean, it, I I don't even know the numbers. Somebody somebody did the math screens. on it, and I, I heard or read somewhere this morning that there have been something like, well, it's over 200, 212, 221 mass shootings so far this year. Yeah, yeah. That's more than one a day. Uh, you, you expect a daily shooting report like you have the weather report and the sports report on the news at night. It's, I mean, it's a little exaggeration, obviously, but I mean, almost every other day there's something. Well, I read the same statistics, but I thought it was 151, something like that. Maybe that's the number of people killed, yeah, but the shootings may be different. Well, so, so somebody, a number of people have posted a long list of schools that have had shootings. And as I say, it's, it's a very, very long list. I, I haven't even tallied it up. But various high schools, middle schools, colleges, et cetera, and goes on and on and on in, in, in relatively recent years. Well, I was talking to Seamus about uh, doing a, uh, uh, being on the show, and, and we were comparing calendars and all that. And so sometime in the next couple of weeks, and who knows how many shootings there will be in that period of time. Exactly, yeah. But we will be doing a, a segment on this, this whole thing. And I've, I, and I've done them before, and frankly, I'm a little reluctant to spend much time on it because we've spent so much time on it, and the talk and the and the rhetoric and and the concern even the thoughts and prayers don't seem to go very far that's true yeah. but, <laughs> you know i just i believe that mass shootings are in free fall that whole concept we really don't understand them and we don't get close to uh, a discussion where we can try to understand we understand only what we believe and what others have convinced us to believe. But we've never put the discussion out on the table. What causes these mass shootings? And they're by yeah, young people. Point, Henry. I, yeah, they're by young I, people. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was wondering, when we were kids, does anybody recall anything like this with any frequency? <laughs> I certainly don't. I mean, maybe if they happened, they weren't getting any coverage. But I, I mean, these days, every other day or every other week, there's another mass shooting. It's at some school of some kind. And I certainly don't recall anything of that nature, when, like I say, when I was in school or when I was a kid. The ones that stand uh, out in my mind are, are like um, the the uh, sniper shootings, the tower shootings. And yeah, I, this, I remember that one in Texas. Yeah, yeah, I this, do recall that one. Right. This, this guest that uh, is going to be on the show has written a book called A Taller Tower. Mm. And uh, it's all about this whole thing. So maybe you'll have some insights. Anyway, we need to take a short break here and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. And I am just thrilled to be able to go to break without cutting anybody off. Um, we'll be back with more <laughs> right after this. A brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Mom, what's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with Armchair Politics, our weekly uh, political roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author W.H. Carver, And uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, a juror in a bellwether Flint water crisis civil trial has been dismissed after testing positive for COVID-19 for a second straight week on Monday, May 23rd. Uh, U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy excused the juror despite objections from two engineering consultants that four Flint children are suing in the trial. Uh, Levy said that uh, waiting for the juror who who first reported her illness on May 17th was no longer an option with the case already taking more time than she expected and other days already scheduled off to accommodate the remaining nine members of the jury. Isn't it about time that Judge Levy be strict about delays to this and other uh, Flint water crisis related court proceedings? I would say so. It's about time that yeah. she moved on. We have to get this behind us. We, we've lingered around so long that most people keep the fires burning. They, they, you know, we got to bring this to a resolution. Yeah, the frustration is clearly building over the water yeah. crisis in so many ways, and this is, this is one more example of that. Yeah, we've, and we've, besides, gone, from it's been long. we've gone from water <laughs> crisis fatigue to uh, water <clears throat> crisis anger again. Yeah, you only have to quarantine for 10 days, and she did this on the 15th or 16th. That time is over. She, she should be ready again. But she tested positive again. Yeah, but that was, 16, that was on the week. 15th. Oh, no. I thought it said that it was occurred on the 15th. Today is the 25th. No, she, uh, she first reported her illness on May 17th. And then um, she was tested positive for a second straight week on the 23rd. Oh, oh I, now, see I, 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 I just, oh yeah, I see that too. But, but I'm wondering, have you ever done a, a self-test? Uh, 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 you can make mistakes. If you don't do it correctly, if she's doing this at home, she needs to go to a certified uh, uh, clinician to get that done. Because you can make mistakes on that. I mean, of course, I the other issue is mean, if she's seriously ill and unable yeah. to, to, to uh, yeah. you know, she's coughing and all that, and she may not be able yeah. to function. I, again, I don't know the facts. But again, yeah. the, the delay is getting very frustrating. That's true. I, I totally agree with both Henry and Paul's position, but uh, from a legal standpoint, the, the issue is the issue is that you can't be messing around with the jury this late in the game. And for them to do that because they have a flu virus, I understand everything about the concern over COVID, but there is things that you could immediately do. And I'm wondering why they would, you know, there again, I do not know the facts either, but I would be wondering why you would dismiss a jury because there again, you're, you've got an immediate problem of trying to take an alternate and bring them in and trying to get them up when you could take some type of a quarantine measure, anything from uh, putting that juror, putting that juror, you know, isolating that juror at, at the, 
at, at the court or, you know, having mm-hmm. them wear a mask because the masks are very effective against someone who is infected to stop the infection from other people. Or Zoom them So in. why would they be, you know, why would the judge determine such a thing unless there's some law in Michigan that says if you're, you know, if you're positive for COVID, you're not allowed to participate in society anymore? <laughs> Well, I I would wonder why why they wouldn't consider zooming uh, her in. Uh, there again, yeah, perfect yeah. example of what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. To, to yeah. mess with that, to mess with that, and I'm sorry, my conspiracy hat immediately goes <laughs> on. But I, I have to, I have to wonder I have to wonder why this late in the game you would be doing something like that. Because and you're, you're absolutely right. It has to, this this case has to be adjudicated, and they have to move on. Um, and all of this mucking around with the courts, just making mockery of the courts, whether it's the federal courts, the local courts, or the, you know, the uh, federal courts. Well, let's do totally. the Supreme Court. Yeah, people, people are getting very cynical about the ability yeah. to, to deal with the water crisis after all this time. That's true. Well, let's do... Uh, uh, on let, all levels. Let's do one more of these. A second witness facing criminal charges related to the Flint water crisis, has refused to testify at a civil trial brought by four Flint children against two engineering consultants. Former Flint Department of Public Works Director Howard Croft invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination in the trial on Monday, appearing only briefly before telling U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy that he would not answer questions. Croft is one of nine former Flint and State of Michigan employees charged with crimes related to the water crisis and is among those asking the U.S. Court of Appeals to overturn an earlier decision by Levy which required them to testify in person about matters they were asked about in depositions in the civil case. The Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit said in a two-page order on April 26th that Croft, former Governor Rick Snyder, and other potential witnesses facing criminal charges related to the water crisis can file briefs appealing Levy's decision. Why would any of the nine facing criminal charges testify in this civil case? A good question. Yes, if they're facing criminal charges, I don't think they want to. I think they would take the fifth all over the place just to make sure that they're not going to be used against them. They wouldn't want to be found guilty in both the counts. <laughs> if I were, yeah, if I were, you a have couple. no way out. Then you have yeah. no way out of the system. <laughs> if I were, you're right. You're right for uh, to uh, self-incrimination uh, is is valid in a criminal trial, not in a civil trial. Um, right. If that's if the criminal trial is going on while the the uh, they're trying to sue them civilly, then then they'd have the right to delay that. But they would not be allowed. They would not be allowed to say no. Um, I my Fifth Amendment right. There is no Fifth Amendment right in a criminal in a civil trial tort. And by the fact that they're saying that. If the civil trial, I, I don't know who or why they're putting the civil trial on before the criminal trial has been adjudicated, but if they're doing that, that very statement right there 
everybody knows what that really means. And any jury in a civil trial will know exactly what he's just said. He's just, <laughs> they're, they're just admitting their guilt. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's one I was going to put off till a little later, but uh, we have a little time this segment, so I'm going to start uh, start in with this one. Five of the ten Republican candidates for governor in Michigan don't have enough valid signatures to make the ballot, according to a report from the Michigan Bureau of Elections after a thorough review. The five candidates without enough valid signatures are James Craig, Perry Johnson, Michael Brown, Michael Markey, and Donna Brandenburg. The report is not a final decision, however. The Michigan Board of State canvassers will vote tomorrow to determine which candidates have enough valid signatures. The Bureau of Elections report is just a recommendation for the board. Do you think the canvassers are, are inclined to support petitions no I, 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 don't, I don't know the, the numbers but I I never recall any kind of situation where there were so many again in some cases prime candidates who were knocked off who apparently could be knocked off the ballot uh, in any other previous election around here no uh, guys I, I was, go ahead I, I have to I, I have to say this now even the last week we talked about this and I said well Look, who got the petitions for James Craig? It was his friends, mostly all Democrats. And uh, so they weren't going to go out and do diligence the way they would for a Democrat candidate. This guy had converted over to a Republican. They had no loyalty to Republicans. And just that very fact created some doubt in the process, whether that process could be successful. Then I heard Bill Ellinger this morning on the same, on the show. Um, and he said pretty much the same thing I did. Uh, and I was only guessing from just the division between Democrats and Republicans in the black community. So, um, so, so you think that Craig's thing was, was sabotaged by... Well, I won't say purposely followed up. But I I use the word diligent. Would they go out and really do something so that they don't um, do anything to deface or uh, discourage this candidacy for William Craig? Or well, what, what Craig. about Perry Johnson? I mean, he he, he was, Perry Johnson. I, I assume he didn't use Democrats. He used to get his collect his signatures. Did he? Yeah, that he, no. he's, he's been running commercials all over the place more so than anybody else, frankly. I mean, he, he was surprising to me when I saw him on the list. Well, they're, they're, if you look in his background, you find out that he uh, he has used a, a lot of uh, wording that would be uh, um, unflattering to black to black people. Is he the one with the car dealership? Uh, I, I thought he was kind of an automotive engineer of some kind. Who's yeah, he was. He was some kind of, kind of a quality. Yeah, uh, I read. I read some yeah. data on him, but I don't believe everything. He's had he's had a load of TV ads in yeah. recent months. Uh, more but than anybody else, I think. Then collecting signatures, you have to when you go out to collect signatures, you got to get people who uh, who will go out and well, understand uh, uh, the importance of getting people who are likely to be um, 
in, uh, credible uh, collectors of signatories and follow the procedures and so on and so forth. But if you just go out and say, hey, let's sign this petition. Well, and, as, you, uh, as you guys know, I invited all 10 to be on the show, and I started last Wednesday with uh, Ryan Kelly, and I had Mike Brown scheduled for today. Well, last night, as a result of, of this recommendation, Mike Brown announced his withdrawal from the race. Oh. Hmm. And he and I, of course, have had uh, a couple of uh, conversations back and forth by email. And, and he has said, I, you know, I need to postpone my appearance on your show, but I will be happy if we reschedule to come on, you know, for a short interview and talk about this petition debacle thing. And so we will be talking about it. I think we're scheduled for Friday. In any event, he, uh, he made uh, an announcement in his uh, withdrawal um, last night on his website. And I'm going to read that for you because it, it says a couple of things that I think we'll find interesting to our conversation. He said, it appears that after my campaign's signature gathering was complete, individuals independently contracted for a portion of our signature gathering and validation jumped onto other campaigns and went on a money grab. They were involved in allegedly fraudulent signature gathering activities with these campaigns, causing the Michigan Bureau of Elections to declare all of the signatures connected to those individuals as invalid. I cannot and will not be associated with this activity. We built this campaign on common sense, conservative principles, with a positive message of prosperity, safety, and respect for all the citizens of Michigan. The countless hours, miles, conversations, and tireless effort will not be in vain as I continue to fight for the future of Michigan. I have made many tough decisions for the right reasons over my life. This is a painful but necessary decision I make decisively because that's what the citizens deserve. During my years in the Marine Corps and 34 years in the Michigan State Police, each assignment has been about serving the citizens. I will exit the race for Michigan's governor with my integrity and this principle intact. Thank you, Thank Michigan. you, Mike. Mm. Uh, that was that was with dignity and respect. That was with yeah. dignity and respect. I would join his you know, I, I wonder who was there's a problem here that some there's so many candidates used in a commercial signature gathering organizations. I, I saw some yeah. stories where people were getting paid as much as twenty dollars a signature for petitions. Yeah. I mean if that was the case but I mean and if people may afford some and gotten you know anybody with a with a warm body to sign even if they weren't registered voters and all that i don't know but i i saw some allegations that these commercial operations may have may have tainted some of these campaigns uh but i've, I've never seen so many people apparently knocked off the ballot at one time because of signature issues but but if the canvasser says that these people are not qualified they are the people to to speak to that issue. Well, remember, not let it go political. Remember the you know the Detroit um, uh, Chamber of Commerce that uh, sponsors the Mackinac uh, yes. policy conference on right. Mackinac Island every year. Um, 
decided they were going to have a debate for governor at this year's conference, but they only invited five. Mm-hmm. And that number haunted me a little bit, the fact that they, mm. that they blew off five and that this um, election committee is recommending that five be removed from the roster of ten. On the uh, just on the for curiosity, the, the five not invited, the ones who were kicked off. They I, were not, I Paul. I checked that oh. and compared the two lists. Um, the uh, let's see, uh, the ones invited to the debate included James Craig and Perry Johnson, who were both knocked off. Mm-hmm. The ones that were uninvited. Um, included Tudor Dixon and Ralph Riband. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and those. Those have been two of my strong candidates, Tudor Dixon, as you've heard me say many times. But you know, um, if you don't if you don't get your signature if you don't get the signatures right, you don't deserve to be on the ballot because that's a public trust thing. No matter what happens. Well, that's, that's, that's true, but I, I'm just struck by the fact that is this, is this the first time we've really looked at this, or is this the first time when they've been so fouled up? I just, if, uh, well, that I mean, gets back to how I... People have gotten signatures. That gets back to how I asked the question about whether or not the canvassers are inclined to support the petitions, because it sounds, from what Mike Brown said in his withdrawal from the race and some news coverage from the free press, that um, that this uh, the election uh, committee, whatever it's called. Um, let me, let me see if I can find it. Uh, from the Bureau of Elections, once they found there were shenanigans, every signature attached to the perpetrators of the shenanigans was tossed. Mm-hmm. And what some of the candidates are saying, um, although it's still it's still new because this just came out late in the day Monday. So yesterday was the first full news cycle with this in it. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I, my question or, was, would the canvassers be inclined to support the petitions? Meaning, are they going to try to find the valid signatures amongst the tainted ones? And and reconsider mm. the totals, and does that mean that yeah, some will end up qualifying after all? I'm no, I don't think. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at M Live story this morning. This says state the state says petition errors are and fraud could keep 18 Michigan candidates off the ballot. Um, including a number of, of course, the gubernatorial ones we just talked about, but also a number of uh, congressional candidates and a a fairly long list of judicial candidates as well, who, you know, if if this stands, could be knocked off the ballot as well. Um, But, and you know, I don't think it's it's the role of the canvassers to go out and qualify this. The, uh, The petition... Uh, drivers are the ones who are vested with that responsibility. Um, canvassers need to stay in the lane. Uh, 
but and I, should not become involved politically in the process. No, no, I, and and I don't, um, and I didn't mean to suggest if you got that impression, mm-hmm. Henry, that they were getting politically involved. I just wondered. Um, you've got the Michigan Bureau of Elections who are throwing out anything that has anything to do with these um, signature collectors. And I'm just wondering if the canvassers are likely to be, you know, to give it more scrutiny and say, okay, these guys did do a bunch of fraudulent signatures, but there's a bunch of good ones too, and we're going to allow those. They can do that. That's what I'm talking about. And are they inclined to do that? Or if they were a group, and and it's two Republicans and two Democrats by Michigan law, um, do they um, do they have a predisposition for shooting petitions down? And if so, will they just take the Michigan Bureau of Elections uh, recommendation and sign off on it? And those five are out. That. Okay, now well, the candidates are divided. They're divided, two Democrats and two Republicans, and they are like to stay in their own lane. They're going to support their respective side. So they're, they're, they're probably <clears throat> going to do it the way it was intended to be done. Yeah, here the, I, the I article agree, I got here indicates the number of signatures they needed. Yeah, uh, the I've got I got the article in front of me here where the, it indicates how many signatures they need and how many were invalid. Perry Johnson had thirteen thousand eight hundred valid. He needed fifteen thousand. There were ninety three hundred invalid ones. Craig oh. had ten thousand valid ones. Needed fifteen thousand. Eleven thousand invalid ones. Michael Brown had only 7,000 valid ones, 13,000 invalid ones. Mm. Michael Markey, only 4,000 valid signatures, 17,000 invalid. And Donna Brandenburg, 6,000 valid, 11,000 invalid. And again, needed 15,000. And again, (laughs) beyond that, there were also four uh, folks running for Congress who were knocked off from the, or at least found invalid. And, now the uh, question is, were the are these candidates that are being knocked off? Um, are they? Ha, did they all hire the same uh, signature Good collectors? Yeah, and if I they wonder, did, is that company history after this year's election? Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Bill, I, you I started believe, to I say something, Henry, and we've got about a minute. Yeah, I just, yeah, just that, that Henry, I think, really laid, laid it out in, in the truth of the situation. First off, you have 10 Republicans in the field running for any particular office. You've already distributed or cut up your vote so much that it's going to be hard for any Republican to get elected. So I understand where they're coming from. In regard to the, the actual issue... Henry hit the nail on the head when he said, in the bottom line, it ends up on on the person who was running. It's his responsibility. These canvases, the the issue there is that you've got people that have no, they're, they're looking at strictly from an economic standpoint. You're telling somebody, especially somebody who uh, has, you know, was, was raised in a place where there are no ethics but making money, and you're offering them $20 <laughs> a hit for, for a signature, guess what's going to yeah. happen? 
Okay, and I got to so jump in here. We're taking a short break. We'll be right back. Every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author Bill Weiscarver. Um, and and uh, Bill, I, I've got a chance to cut Bill off when we went to break. Usually it's Henry, but uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was appropriate that I cut Bill off while he was agreeing with Henry. <laughs> it all works out. It all works out. No, the, the only, the only thing wrapping that up. The, the only thing that I that I did want to stress is that that you you can't have something like that as a piecework. They should be paid a flat rate. Collect. You get the people, and you get somebody as a candidate. You get somebody who you can trust that's on your side that's managing that program you turn you come up with 11,000 voided signatures you got a real problem there and it, yeah. to me there again it, you know it, it looks like it's an economic problem um you know that uh, well that you know what session or that would yeah, okay. speech was was you know it, it sounded very sincere and and i think i think michigan just it sounded to me like we uh lost a very viable candidate but but uh you know you you can't have something like that and as henry said in the end it is that that candidate's it is his personal responsibility as truman said the buck yeah, stops. I, mean, I got the article in front of me about the folks who were disqualified let me read one paragraph here that suggests some real problems here this is from MLive. fraud was also a big problem found among many petitions the board of elections found the state identified 36 petition circulators who helped gather names for at least 10 different petition drives. These 36 people submitted a combined 68,000 signatures the state believes are faulty. Then they go on to talk about why they were faulty. They had identical signatures, the same kind of ink, and uh, the, the, the addresses were very similar, like they were out of a phone book or something. So, again... There were, it looked like there were a handful of people who were in the business of getting, gathering signatures, and they may have sat around the table and filled out each other's petitions, um, <laughs> which, which led to the fraudulent issues. That appears to be the case, at least. Well, and there was also um, some sort of hint that um, that perhaps the uh, the regulators at the at the Michigan Bureau of Elections looked at any signatures collected by these people that they believed committed fraud That's and dismissed true, them yeah. without um, without verifying that they were fraudulent. So, in uh, other words, yeah. when you see a number, and Bill points out to the, the size of these numbers, and they are staggering when you first read them. <laughs> when, you know, when somebody's got 7,000 legitimate signatures and 11,000 illegitimate signatures, it, you know, that's, that's, that's hard to look at. And, and it makes me wonder if the agency didn't say any signatures collected by these people. We're going to call yeah, uh, invalid. Maybe so. 
You know, there was a time when the Republican Party did something right all the time. There was a time when they didn't need the black vote uh, to win an election in Michigan. And they prided themselves in not paying people to go out and collect signatures. Because I know that the Democrats were doing, and I was chairman of the Republican Party, and I told them of this uh, glitch here. They wanted to go into the black neighborhoods and get uh, votes and uh, signatures and so on and so forth. But most of the people were afraid to go in because uh, they were not well received. And uh, so we, we, they still the Republican Party would not pay people to go in and do it. It was at that time beneath them. I don't know what the situation is right now. I still think that that might be the situation. But uh, I do remember that because I was involved in it. We never paid people to collect signatures. At least not in the black community who didn't. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, they only got 5% of the vote out of each uh, precinct. So it was not worth it. The party says that's not worth it. Well, Mike Brown um, is is out, and we'll talk to him. And and, and I want to see what he says. Um, he discovered when he found out that there were problems with the signatures on his petitions. Um, but I just I got an email from Michael Markey, and yes, he got knocked out of both the debate at the Mackinac conference and out of the race by these bogus signatures. And he sent an email out this morning that uh, essentially says he's participating as a candidate for governor in in uh, one of the panel discussions at the Mackinac Conference. Makes no reference to the debate, makes no reference to the campaign for governor. Just It's on his uh, mm. running for governor uh, stationary and says that he is going to be participating in the Mackinac Conference roundtable on values and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's... Um, kind of it's going to be interesting to see what happens after tomorrow when the final it's wise of him not to say too much more i think so too henry <laughs> i i kind of thought the same thing because and i thought and and to be honest with you i think mike brown jumped the gun a little bit um because it's entirely possible that you know he that he and and some, if not all of the others, get a reprieve tomorrow, depending on what the uh, Board of Canvassers decide. That could decide. happen, too. Because um, for, for some officers, you don't need signatures at all. You just need to pay a $100 filing fee. And I think the, for the state legislature, that's the case. And for a number of local offices, if you don't want to mess with the signatures, you can just pay a $100 filing fee. Uh, the Board of Education, that's one. Right, right. Well, there's something something new about uh, about petitions and and the requirements for petitions, um, and it has to do with at least you have to have at least a hundred signatures from each of the congressional districts. Oh yeah, yeah, for the statewide stuff, yeah. Well, didn't they apply that also to so, to petitions? Uh, you know, ballot ballot petitions. They had to be from various congressional districts. Couldn't all be from one part of the state. Um, well, for the statewide elections, primarily governor. Right, right. 
But I thought but the if you, if you only need a hundred, if you only need a hundred, why why would you have eleven thousand bogus? No, no, from so from each of the eighty three counties. Right. No, of course, I totally understand. But that's what I'm saying. If I if I needed a hundred from each district. Uh, or each county. I mean, why would why would I end up with eleven thousand signatures that were invalid? I mean, I, I you know I, yeah. I would think you could just kind of go, okay, I got my hundred here, move on to the next district. Right. Um, None of this really sounds right. No, it and, doesn't. But, that's but that's ideally, why, that's why I wanted to bring it up today. But ideally, it it does make sense because. You want a wide distribution of people geographically and racially and and religiously. Henry, I, I'm not I'm not d- debating that one. I mean, you, you're absolutely right. I, I think that makes perfect sense. A hundred. I'm just saying, if you only need a hundred in each district, and I agree with you, could end up with eleven thousand. Well, it, it's it's actually a little different than that, Bill. It's um, you have to have. I think the number is fifteen thousand statewide. Mm-hmm. Ah. And of that 15,000, yeah. you have to have at least 100 from each I, of the congressional totally districts. And and what is that, Paul, 15 districts? I said 83 counties, but... Oh, no, we're now down to 13 districts. We're down, okay, 13 congressional districts. Congressional districts. Yeah, yeah, we're down to 13 now. So uh, out yeah, of your 15,000, 1,300... Um, you know, have to have to come. You have to have a hundred from each of the thirteen congressional districts. Mm-hmm. Then you can go to Detroit and get the rest of the fi- the fifteen thousand. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense oh. to me. And that oh, was the I? reason for doing that, Bill, is because they didn't want people to um, get all their signatures from Detroit and Grand Rapids. Yeah. No, t- and totally understand. But Paul, did I understand that that Michigan lost three seats? Yes. Yes. No. No, we lost wow. one. We used to have fourteen. Well, the over time, we used to have seventeen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, so way back. But, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah we've been losing. Is that a demographic issue, or is yeah. that? Yeah. That yeah. People moving away. Yeah. General yeah. Motors. The exodus. Yeah. It's 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 yeah, all. We we lost one seat with the last census. Hey, one thing I, I want to mention uh, very quickly, cause, and, and we've got about a minute and a half before the break comes up uh, at the top of the hour. Um, I wanted to say, in Mike Brown's place, I started to contact, I, I reached out to Tudor Dixon and one or two other candidates, but I wasn't really expecting to get anything back in time for this morning's show. So I aired an interview I did earlier this week with a candidate for governor in Minnesota. I heard that parts of that this morning. And it's a very interesting one. He's running on on the uh, uh, the the um, party that uh, that got Jesse Ventura elected. Oh, oh that ex- may explain some of the views he says. <laughs> and and he is. Uh, I heard the last part of it. Yeah, and and he is a, um, a biologist or something by trade. He's a scientist basically, and had some really different ideas about uh, COVID for one. But he really also, did. I was surprised to hear some of those. But also, he has this weird idea about a. Um, 
a, a citizen's jury, a democracy jury, that would um, be impaneled for each and every piece of legislation to basically oversee the legislature. Hi, I'm Alexander Zondra. Really Don't touch that dial. Anyway, we'll You're be right back. To Tom Sumner.